I finished Galaxy in Flames, which is the third book in the Horus Heresy series. Mm-hmm. And it was good. There was a lot of action in it, a lot of treachery, and uh, people stabbing each other in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit sad at the end because some of my favorite characters perished mm. in a bombing. Oh, yeah. That's right. But Horus is completely fallen to chaos, and he uh, has turned his back on the Emperor completely. And not only that, he, in this book, was trying to get rid of individuals and certain legions that he didn't believe were going to follow him. Mm-hmm. So he targeted a few other groups, um, some Death Guard, as well as World Eaters, and then even some of those that were his sons, um, such as Loken and Tor- Tolgadon. Torgadon. Torgadon. Yeah. Um, from the Iron Fist. So there's... Did it? How did it go about the, the Death Guard that he targeted, that he sent to the world? Was it just groups that he thought would not side with him? Or was it the Death Guard as a whole? I don't remember. I don't think it was the Death Guard as a whole, because... Mortarion is on his side, right? I think. I think so, yeah. I don't recall. At least that's his aim. Um, mm. I don't know if they actually mesh up in this book in particular mm. but some of the death guard were on istvan 3 is mm-hmm. the name of the planet mm-hmm. um in this planet they were targeting because the they had turned and started to rebel against the emperor's uh great crusade mm. so um some death guard as well as some of the uh, world eaters and some of even like I mentioned, Horus's sons, mm-hmm. or sons of Horus, were sent to the planet to start a battle to, to turn the people back uh, into the Emperor's way. At least that was what they were told. Mm-hmm. And then when, we, when they were on the planet, um, there was a virus that was sent to the surface in the city. Mm-hmm. And that virus basically just evaporates everything that it touches like it just destroys life all organic matter right yeah yeah so that kind of ate its way through but word had gotten to the planet and those on the planet because someone from the ship um decided to go to the planet and warn everybody and Mm. so some took cover so therefore not everybody died was that Saul tarvitz that did that that went down that sounds right yeah tarvitz i think uh, but yeah, and then at the end, Loken and some others leave, right? They go getting out of there. Oh, well, no, Loken didn't get out of there. Or not Loken, Garrow. Yeah, Garrow and some of the Remembrancers yeah. had, had gotten away. Um, Garrow actually took them in because he was on a different warship. Mm-hmm. And um, he was fleeing the uh, well, Horus mm-hmm. because he didn't agree with things. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think over the course of the three books, from what I remember, there's probably some stuff that could have been condensed or reduced and the word count probably didn't need to be the, I don't know, half million it is between three, all three books. Hmm. Each one's at least, well, this one's eight hours and 51 minutes, it says. And that's the shortest. (laughs) Yeah. The others are what, 12 and 11, something like that. Around there, yeah, audiobook. And I know that from my own reading, it's about 10,000 words per hour of reading. So if you go 12, that's 120 plus another 110, you're at two. Yeah, it's over a quarter million, not quite half a million, I guess. And sure, that could have been reduced to probably 200,000 words, maybe even 100,000 words. Like, do they need to go to murder and all that? No, I guess not. But it really gives you a good idea about a lot of these characters who are big names as the Horus Heresy progresses. Yeah, you get a feel for what they are, and then you can look at what kind of characters they are, mm-hmm. and then you can build a connection with them, and then when they die, yeah. <laughs> you can feel something. Yeah. Like Lucius, for example, he really exposed himself on murder, from mm-hmm. what I recall, because you could see him 
just falling into battle and see how much he loved it. Mm-hmm. He was fighting in general. And then when he was fighting and the song of death was playing in his head in this book, mm-hmm. Galaxy in Flames, it, it, I felt like I could see inside of his head and see the world through his eyes better, mm-hmm. maybe, than I could have otherwise. Yeah. Um, the book I just finished, Lords of Silence, it it's interesting because I've seen... I don't know where it was, but in different lore videos talking about various heretic Astartes factions fighting each other and there being all this war among the the four gods of chaos participate in what's referred to as the great game. And I don't know what the winner of the game gets, I guess just domination over the warp, but I also don't know that there is an end to the game. It's kind of like saying the game of life. There isn't, you, nobody wins the game of life. Some people do better than others, but there isn't a clear cut, definitive one objective for all people. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like everybody's mission is to, through, through life is to do X. It's for some people or for one person, it's X. For another person, it's X2. For another person, it's X1. For so on and so on for every individual. Everybody's path is different. And the game in, in chaos, I think, is just this ongoing thing that is played out somewhat in the warp, but also it kind of seems in a bigger scale in the material. That's kind of where things feed the warp. It's this, I don't know, it's a symbiotic I don't know if it's symbiotic or parasitic relationship. I guess it is more symbiotic. One doesn't really feed off the other. They kind of feed each other. It's like we were talking about in that live stream. If somebody wants to go back, or was it the live stream or the last? I think it was the last podcast where we were talking about what's real and whatnot. Yeah. But as things, as somebody in the material does a thing, they they are they tap into things of the immaterial, then it's this song and dance kind of that one feeds the other and then somebody else is inspired to do a thing and my story that I'm writing might inspire somebody to make some music and that actual thing has happened with Mad Cow doing the work that he's done on on a lot of these stories that I've been reading and then somebody else might be inspired to draw a picture and then somebody else might then it, it's just, it's this whole cycle that happens mm-hmm. and the great game is all the bad things on on, on that side I talked about that part, the bad side of things, a little bit in the Christmas Vanquish podcast that that we did, or I guess mm-hmm. it was mostly me, about how um, there's way more bad than there is good. I don't remember how I got on that, not that it really matters. I think there, there was some conversation happening in chat. Yeah. So it just kind of came up naturally. Yeah. But... There, there is, and I gave the example of op- opening a pickle jar. There's... A few ways to do that well and and a, a few ways to do it efficiently. And there are damn near an infinite number of ways to do it wrong. And if somebody goes, well, how? Well, if you, if you wonder how, then you're not thinking very hard. The first way that I can think of to open a pickle jar is to pick it up and use your hand and turn the lid and open it. Now, if you lack the hand strength, you might use one of those little gripper things. They're kind of rubber, and they've got a handle, and it squeeze the lid, and they turn it. Where I work, we sell a fair number of those to people that are elderly because they just don't have the grip strength in the hand. You know, okay. Those are two pretty effective ways to open a a jar lid that I know of. I I don't know of a faster, more efficient way to do that, just to crack it open, and there you go. But here's a way that isn't very effective to open a jar lid. Take that jar and go down to a shooting range that is at least 300 miles away from you. Why? Well, because we're looking for ways that are inefficient to open this jar lid, and doing anything less than 300 would be more efficient than anything over 300. So we're going to go real long ways, maybe a few states over in the the U.S., or maybe a different country if you're in some place where countries are are near, like in the Western European places. So you you go 300 miles away, and you ask some marksman, and not even a very good marksman, just somebody that happens to have a gun, if they could shoot the edge of the jar just so that it unscrews it without damaging the jar. That's not a very effective way to open a jar. You could also give the jar to an octopus and hope that they eventually get into it and then, I guess, don't open it underwater too much so that the pickles stay, you know, good and tasty and not inundated with seawater. 
We could also bring it to a three-year-old and wait for them to grow up and then have the ability to open it themselves. You could take it to somebody that's in a wheelchair or has lost the hand, the ability to use their hands and try and do it with their teeth or their armpit. You, I mean, you could set it out in the sun and hope that the sunlight somehow opens the jar. Yeah, or it brings it up to enough heat where the pressure makes it pop mm -hmm. open. You mm -hmm. could do that. You could just set it down outside and wait for somebody to eventually come by and open it. I think people get the point. Yeah, so I could go on and on and on. And the, and the point to this is that there are so many more ways for things to go bad and wrong than there are for them to go good and correct. Mm -hmm. That the warp is full of horrible, terrible things. And you glimpse that and it, it, I think without it being explicitly said, at least not that I know of, maybe it has been in one book, that's part of why people go mad when they view that. The human mind cannot computate, cannot comprehend, cannot hold in it that much horrible stuff at once. You can't even imagine that. And that's why like, trauma exists and why brains react to trauma in the ways that it does, such as suppression. Yeah, yeah. You're just trying to make sense of, of what you can, what what is there. I mean... There's that whole gorilla suit with the basketball players experiment where the psychologist or whoever's running the experiment says, all right, I want you to watch and see how many times the blue shirts pass it to the red shirts or whatever, orange to green, whatever the shirts they're wearing. And you're so focused on that, then you don't notice. Many people don't notice the gorilla that comes out. I mean, it's not subtle. It's mm -mm. not. I mean, it's right in the middle of the screen. You can look it up on YouTube, gorilla basketball experiment. And uh, or I'll, I'll put it right here, a link to it. And you see it, if you know what you're looking for, and now that you know that the grill is there, then the, the effect is kind of lost. But if you don't know this going into it, and this has been proven time and time again, people just don't see it. I've experienced this. Anybody has experienced this mm -hmm. in one way or another. Oh, do we have any bread in the fridge? You ask your significant other, and they're like, I thought we had bread, or bread in the fridge. We do. It's right there on the front shelf. And you're like, what? I was just looking in the, in, in the, in the fridge. And you open it, and... There it is, right in front of your face or your phone or where are my glasses? Oh, they're they're literally on my nose. They they couldn't be in a more close spot to me than where they are right now. Uh, I mean, it's happened where I work. I'm stalking something and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And then I ask somebody next to me like, hey, do you know where this goes? And like, it's right there. And I go, and, I'm just, and I just miss it. These things happen. And to be inundated with the number of bad things that are in the warp all at once would be, I mean, it would boggle the mind and, and, and break you. It just, it'd be like seeing every wrong thing that could go wrong in somebody's life for every person on the planet and all the people of all the planets because Warhammer spans an entire galaxy where there are billions of stars, each with entire systems. And I mean, you, to, to, to try and even begin to think about how much wrong that is, is it's impossible. It's impossible. Well, look what happens to the main character in A Clockwork Orange when he gets treated and he's just inundated with all of this information and mm. a lot of it is bad. Yeah. And he just turns into this terrible human being. Wait, I thought he Wait, was already no, no, no. a bad human being. They switch him around, yeah. I think. They try to. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how well it works like, or whatever call. Seems like he's kind of broken after that. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine, I mean, it's kind of like brain smashing, but the wrong way. I do this thing that I call brain smashing and it. It's fairly similar, somewhat similar, I guess, to what happens in the Matrix when Neo, he's he's fully out of the Matrix. He's getting some training and he goes to uh, Tank or Dozer. I forget which is which, but one of the two brothers. And he goes, we're supposed to do training. This is a bunch of bullshit. Why don't we do something fun? Combat training. And Neo's laying there. He goes, combat training. And, he, and he's like, I'm going to learn jujitsu. Like, yeah, you are. And then you're going to use it in John Wick later on. Wait, what? Um, <laughs> that all besides the point. He learns jujitsu to, we'll assume, an extremely high level in the span of a, a, a snap. I mean, three seconds. He just later on, we see. Uh, Trinity learn how to fly a helicopter. She says, I need to know how to fly a whatever, whatever. It's a Huey something, something, and just kind of pauses, and then she knows it. That's well, a, How does that happen? You're not really explaining. How does it happen? Yeah, it's just she knows it. 
What does that uh, mean? They What's upload happening? the information into her head, okay. whoever the operator is. I mean, I'm, I imagine most of you watching this have seen The Matrix. If not, go on HBO Max. I mean, if you haven't seen The Matrix, watch it. It's it's one it, of your favorite movies. Yeah, and it ties to so many other things that if you don't – if that's where the term red pill comes from. It's it's where so many things have come from. Um, I mean, it was parodied in, in tons of movies. It's, it's, it's a cultural landmark. Uh, but what I'm equating them learning Neo and Trinity, I don't know who else, I don't know that anybody else does it in that movie or any of the other ones after that, um, is a thing that I do and you've started doing a little bit here mm-hmm. and there that I call brain smashing. And it's just kind of cheating your way to knowing how to do something that you're struggling with. For example, I was leaving the lights on in our car when I would park. I would forget to turn the lights off. And instead of going, I got to remember to do this or tying a string around my finger or putting a note there, these are all ways that you could do it. I just sit there and effectively turn the lights off when I got out of the car a hundred times in the course of a minute. And you're wondering, well, how did you do that? I just put myself, I visualize that situation, stopping the car, turn off the car, turn off the lights, turn off the car, turn off the lights. And I find something that I can repeat very easily like that, turn off the car, turn off the lights. And I imagine myself each time pulling up and I put myself mentally in a different situation. I'm pulling up to a a store and I'm in the parking lot. I'm at this place and I'm at, oh, I just paralleled park. Oh, I pulled up to to where we live. I'm in the street. I'm in all these different places. Scenes are flashing through my head. This place, that place, well, here, there, whatever, a park, a zoo, a this, a that, a a lake, a a seaside. And I turn off the car, I turn off the lights, turn off the car, turn off the lights, turn off the car, turn off the lights. And I'm just visualizing this over and over and over and over. Uh, I've done that with all kinds of things when we were learning magic, if I was trying to remember a, a, a turn sequence or how something would go, oh, tap this, do that, tap this, do that, tap that, whatever it was. And I, if I'm trying to learn something that is easy like that, it, it doesn't really work if it's a long sequence of things where you do this, do that, do this, do that. But if it's, if it is something fairly short, you just smash it into your head and you're effectively doing that thing a, a great number of times in a short period of time. Yeah, I think at one point we were listening to some psychologist or podcast or something, and they were talking about carving neural pathways Mm. and how when uh, people go to rehab, for example, it's it's usually 28 days that they're there to go to rehab because that's how long it takes for you to carve a new neural pathway. Mm -hmm. Because if you do a habit, every time you do a habit or say a word or – Like, for example, when you say so, or when I speak from up here, every time I do that, I'm telling my brain, this is the way that we speak. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. So that the next time I'm in a new situation, I don't have to think about that. I just do. Mm -hmm. Because I know what to do because I've done this thing and it's worked for me however many times it's worked. Yeah, it's worked well enough. You're not dead. You're still here doing it. So it must be okay. So every time you do that or do a thing or whatever, you are just carving out that groove. And so the brain smashing exercise is an attempt to carve a new groove. Yeah. From what I understand, it's a physical, like an actual physical groove in your head. I don't, I'm not no neuroscientist. Surprise, surprise. You might be astounded to learn that. But from what I understand, every time you do something, like you said, electrons or, or synapses or something, some, something travels down a groove. Like if you imagine. There are little pathways in your brain. Yeah. Little, little pathways. And. The deeper the groove, the easier it's going to be for that to travel down. The, the little the little neurons or, or or electrons or whatever it is traveling these paths. Imagine you've got a hose and you're holding it and it just starts cutting grooves in a, a sloping dirt hillside. Well, wherever the deepest groove is, is where most of the water is going to go. It's going to take a while for the other trickles to go down this way and that way if, if they really do at all. But if you were to redirect that hose and start pointing it off to the right... And, and now it's digging a new groove, well, eventually, with enough time, and probably not that long if it's a high-powered hose, which is kind of the brain-smashing thing, you you dump a whole bunch of energy into this new direction, then it carves out this new path over off to the other side, and eventually that other path gets filled in because it goes, okay, well, we're not using that pathway anymore. We, we don't need to go that way. Which I think it's more accurately strengthening and weakening um 
certain elements of your brain, like synapses, receptors, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, whatever it is, whatever. a node getting stronger. And so these are talking to each other and then this one shrinks and then this one builds, so it sends over here. But, but I don't I like know exactly what's going it, on. It paints a good picture. That's how I have always seen it. And I, it's partly because growing up in Arizona, there would be hillsides where these deep grooves would be cut from when mm-hmm. we monsoon season would come. And you'd see all these grooves in the landscape as you're, as you're passing down. I mean, if you pull up a Google Maps, I could probably do this fairly easily. I'll try and remember to pull that up. Can you make two notes, actually? Yeah. Okay. We just made a little note there back at it uh, so that we can actually give you the links that we talked about earlier in the video and then some images that you have now seen of grooves in Arizona. And that's what I picture every time. I picture, okay, those are the grooves in my head. I don't know what it actually looks like as we covered. I'm not a neuroscientist, but... (laughs) It helps me visualize that. And I know for a fact, I mean, no question in my mind that the brain smashing works. I mean, I've done it with people's names that I work with. I've done it with uh, new things that I got. I need to learn. I've, I've done it with so many different things that it 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 works. It, it just it does. There was uh, an example, the the water that we've got. We've we've got a Brita water filter that we've got set into a, a gallon glass jar because I don't like drinking out of plastic. I don't know. I grew up drinking out of glasses and, and having water sit in plastic for extended periods of time weirds me out. I have strange OCD little things like that. Probably everybody does. Uh, I also don't like drinking out of anything but glass. Yeah. <clears throat> or metal sometimes, I guess is okay. I really like but I don't prefer it. I mean, I'm saying we'll drink out of a can of something occasionally. True. Um, like we've got a can of tea sitting in the, in the fridge right now. But I would often forget to refill the water reservoir so that there was new water in it after getting water out. And so I sat there one day or multiple times, refill the water, use the water, fill the water, use the water, fill the water. Usually I'll start out with a longer phrase and then chop it down, chop it down, chop it down. So that it's a thing that I can just pound into my head, brain smash really fast over dozens or dozens of times over the course of a short period of time. I have a question about that. Hmm. Does it, does the message lose its meaning when you do that? No, because it it all ties to the bigger one. Hmm. So, okay, go ahead. So if, if, I'm trying to think of something that I could imagine, like, um, I'm trying to imagine a situation that it might come up. Let's say, Oh, I don't know. Let's say I was I was often grinding the car. I'm trying I'm trying to think of something imaginary because I can't think of a good one. Or let me use the car one. Let me let me do that. So in the car situation, if I'm trying to remember to turn off the lights, or if I was still, I don't suffer from this now. But if I was still trying to remember it, I might start with whenever you park the car and and shut off the engine, make sure you turn off the lights. And I go whenever you shut off the car, shut off the lights. Shut off the car. Shut off the lights. Car off. Lights off. Car lights, car lights, but it it it's it's this funneling down, mm. but it connects to that bigger thing. It's kind of like it's a vi- it's a it's an auditory version of the um the sigils that that we learn from Grant Morrison, mm. where you take the letters, you write out whatever the phrase is, mm-hmm. then you cut out all the vowels. I think yeah, all the repeat letters. Well, all the vowels, I okay. think first, and then all the repeat letters. Then you take whatever's left, and then make it into like a strange symbol i'm pretty sure you take out the vowels right or is it just the repeat letters i i didn't think it was the vowels well whatever you do i don't know anyway then you turn it into something that doesn't look at all like it initially did and then you draw that around and you you write it here and there and then you meditate on that symbol yeah which is a sigil which has no clear can, like somebody else that saw it would go, I don't know what that is. It doesn't, it's just the lines and shapes. It doesn't make any sense. But to you, it means that thing. It's a it just, it is that thing. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I asked because recently I was brain smashing um, every demon grows up mm. uh, and gets bigger. And after I was saying it, kind of like when I've repeated a word, a number of times it kind of loses its meaning mm. that was losing its meaning mm. and so i had to do these little brain tricks where i was rewording every demon grows up every demon gets bigger every little demon then i changed it to a dragon and uh i i just i created all these different versions and that was more helpful to me because mm. i wasn't just repeating the same thing it wasn't just a it, it wasn't just going through the motions where i would fall into 
going through the motions when I didn't change what I was saying. That makes sense. I am trying to get to a place where it loses a clear meaning. And so it just is that thing because I know what it connects to. Hmm. That's kind of behind the scenes. I see what you're saying. It just... And I'm visualizing it at the same time, which really helps. Every yeah, time I'm repeating it, I'm, I'm, see, I'm seeing important. it. Because then you can kind of walk yourself through. And it's almost like, for me anyway, I can feel my muscles moving mm-hmm. in that and in whatever way I want them to repeatedly if I visualize. If mm-hmm. I don't visualize, then it's just all up here. There's been experiments, too, where they've had um, athletes visualize what they're doing for their their olympic event or whatever if they're laying in bed and it's and it's better than in some cases than actually doing it Hmm. i think because they can't you can't get hurt and if you're just imagining what you're doing there was one professional fighting game guy that i don't remember his name but he they asked him like oh how much do you practice And he's like like 20 minutes a day and they're just like wait what 20 minutes a day like i don't know some days i don't even play like how are you this good everybody else that we've talked to plays for hours and hours and hours and you just i just repeat it in my head i just see it what sport it is no it was a fighting game like it was was games like street fighter or something or tekken or i don't know one of those and he's like i just imagine myself playing and i'm just thinking about it all the time and in one sense if you can imagine and you, you're at a, a level where you can see those things, I mean, I imagine the same thing is true, or let me finish that thought, then you don't need to sit there and do the actual thing because you can be imagining five, 10, 100 games at once. A, 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 a person, Russell Wilson can imagine him throwing a ball in 13 different situations or more hmm. at once, like this, and I'm playing against this. And you just instantly reconfigure the situation. It's just, okay, I need to throw this. Just all these tiny, minute adjustments, just, mm-hmm. and you just see that in, in flashes as opposed to, okay, run out there. I'm going to throw the ball. Here we go. Okay. All right. That's, that's a minute. All right. Run back. Get in position. Okay. Pass me the ball. I mean, we did it three <laughs> times in the last half an hour, or I can do it 10,000 times in five minutes, just just blah, 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 blah. It's kind of how they're able to, how AI is able to learn. There was a, something I saw that some uh, quantum computer did a task in a couple of minutes or I don't know, less than 10 minutes, I think, or 15, 12 minutes that would take a normal computer something like 13 billion years. Like, and it just was, and that's how fast people don't understand is something that Elon Musk and other people have talked about AI. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand how quick it learns. It just, once it understands a thing, it just knows everything. Once you connect it to the internet, and that's what these horror stories and movies have been made about, it just knows everything. Yeah. Instantly. Mm-hmm. What you would, what would take you 10,000 lifetimes to learn a minute, infinitesimally small flat fraction of, it knows that and all of what you and Every other person has known throughout all time, just like that. It just, that there it is. Well, it, it's God. It, I mean, not exactly, but. It doesn't have to carve those pathways. It's just, it just has a memory slot and yeah. there it goes. Boop. It just knows it. Okay. Yeah. But you have to pay attention as a person. You're not a computer. So if you want to brain smash something, you have to really pay attention to what you're trying to brain smash. Yeah. And like I said, it works much better for smaller things. I'd, yeah. I've not done it for long sequences of things in it like if i was trying to learn how to ride a bike that doesn't brain smashing in the way that we've been describing it of repeating a thing that doesn't imagining yourself riding the bike would work well and it would be worthwhile but there's not a phrase you can really learn there of step on the bike then pedal the bike isn't no but it's it's, different it's more mental stuff Mm -hmm. i think um when i was a child i I really liked Shel Silverstein poems, and so I would try to learn them when I was a child. Hmm. And there's one, and I still remember the first 20 lines of it or something, I think, uh, but about this girl who doesn't want to go to school. So she comes up with all these excuses as to why she can't go to school, and she's saying she's all sorts of sick. And hmm. uh, But the way that I learned that was by going through and reading it and repeating it out loud. And if I messed up, I would start over and keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's other memorization tricks, but yeah, repetition of a thing is definitely one of the best ways to to learn a thing. Or I don't know about the best. It's, 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 it's one bad. of the most widely used. Mm-hmm. You should 
talk a little bit about what you meant and why you were brain smashing every demon grows up. Because if somebody's listening to this, I might go, what is, what is that? Is that a Warhammer thing? I mean, no. sort of, I suppose, but not exactly. It it ties into what you were talking about earlier, how there are near infinite, if not infinite, ways uh, for things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that applies to what we were just talking about, the brain smash of every demon grows up, is I have a tendency to not speak to not say things out loud to Mm -hmm. to not put out fires little fires to not pay attention to the dragon in the room and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and how this manifested itself the other day uh, i think it was in the last week or so um it's a really simple thing uh if you want to elaborate on that i understand i didn't really paint the clearest picture Elaborate on what? Uh, what I what I had said, like the whole reason. Never mind. I'll I'll do this. Um, I don't talk often, so I'm trying to keep my thoughts straight and kind of go. Just go in order of what happened the other day. That that. Yeah, you know, where did it start? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to think of the exact context. I was in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and that's right. I had made you breakfast because you were working that day. I wasn't, and I was going to go on a run. Mm-hmm. I made, I think, three little sausage links and then some eggs and other stuff for you. And I served you your breakfast. You usually have two sausage links, so I put two on your plate. And then after I served you breakfast, I said, there's another sausage here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I really elaborated on no, that. No, I think you said, there's another sausage here. I don't know if you want it. Yeah, okay. I don't know if you want it. And this is, no, it's very careful, or it's very important if, that you pay attention to how she worded that because she'll do this occasionally. She'll put the onus of the situation. I think I used that word correctly. Look it up. O-U-N-U-S, I believe. The 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 weight, the the responsibility Onus. You used to refer to something that is one's duty yeah. or responsibility. So she'll put the onus of of the question on me. It would be like back when you could go see movies. She might say something like, do you want to see a movie today? Just out of the blue. And I'm going to go, I. And there might be people I, listening to this wondering what's wrong with that. Yeah. Maybe. The problem is that she's not saying, hey, movie X, Y, Z is in the theater are you interested in seeing it or would you want to go? I'd like to see it. It's just, would you want to see a movie? And then I go, I I, I guess so. Oh, okay, what did you want to see? Whoa, Hank, yeah. how did this become my thing all of a and sudden? My I, grandma did that to me what? recently. She texted me I was going to go over to her house and she asked, do you want to bake something? Yeah, when you when, come when, over, when, do you want to bake something? I said, sure, that sounds fun. And then she said, is there anything in particular you want to bake? <laughs> Wait, wait, ha- hold, hold on. Hold on. You asked me if I want to bake. Did right. you have something in mind? So I, I did text her back and I said, well, I have this idea, but this was your idea. So mm-hmm. what were you thinking? And right, whatever. And at that moment, I realized, oh, this is really annoying. Yeah. For me to do. So Dell has pointed this out. I don't know if it's happened every single time I've done it, but. You've made quite a stink about it. Yeah, because the the issue is, is I have an inkling of an idea. I want you to figure it out for me. You you handle all the work. I, I, I just got this little spark. Now I want you to turn it into a bonfire. And I go, no, 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 no. I want you to make the bonfire and then send me an invitation to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not being forthright. So uh, that, that was the sausage became a demon. Yeah. Because I didn't ask, would you like another sausage? Mm-hmm. I have one here in the And there's pan. a lot of different ways to I, ask I, it. And, yeah, I, and I'm not particular about being be... specific. It's not like, you have to ask it this way. But, it's just, but it needs to be a question that I can handle. If you want to ask a question, ask a question. Yeah. Don't make a statement and then leave it floating in the air. We watched Emma recently. The most r- recent Emma? Yeah, was yeah it came out this year. With Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh-huh. And both of us were just watching the movie in confusion. Just, like It was bewildering because the people that were having conversations 
in the movie weren't really having conversations. There are all these little subtleties and nuances and like looks and and things weren't being said in a forthright manner. And it just made things really muddy and confusing and disgusting, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And so my posing or my statement of there's another sausage here in the pan. However, I said that the day that I said it mm-hmm. rather than asking a question is way closer to the world in which Emma and all of her little friends live in than mm-hmm. the world that I would like to live in. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's unclear. It's, it's very much tying into the warp. It's this big conglomeration of it's a mess. It doesn't make yeah. any sense as opposed to the clear structure of order that you find in the materium. And that's why it bothers me so much when I see various things in the news here where people just want to tear down all sense of order. It's like that goes so, so bad really quick. Yep. You have to have some order, some. Well, a big problem with that, sorry, I just bumped the table, is it is it seems more comfortable that way, I think. At least for me. That's why I've done it. Mm-hmm. Is I'm not being vulnerable in the way that I am when I am forthright. Right. When I ask a question straight up, would you like another sausage, for example? Mm-hmm. That's me saying, here's reality as I see it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's kind of like I said with the bonfire. You have to do... Finished. Okay. Um, and then the opposition to that by me is just saying, there is a sausage here. Mm-hmm. And leaving it at that. And, and it, it's not really doing anything. It's not interacting with the world around me. It's not actually interacting with you. It's just, here's a thing that has been observed... Yeah. And then you leave it at that. And if you continue to do that time and time and time again in a relationship, then you wind up in very different places Mm -hmm. with very different understandings. Like you might be in the same book, but you're not on the same page. Resentment's going to build up. You're going to start really disliking the other person. Yeah. Things just fall apart because nobody knows where they are. Because rot has set in and nobody's done anything about it. Yeah. And it's way easier to betray one another because... The the connective tissue mm-hmm. between you is weak. Yeah, yeah. I the 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 core of our relationship is built on two things. I, I probably mentioned this in past conversations and, and other podcasts, but for people new to the channel, you might wonder, oh, what's the core of your relationship? Well, there's no one thing. I thought about this a lot growing up because I in high school I I would see these couples and I think not one of you, not one of you, is going to make it past college at the absolute max and you might go well no there's those high school sweethearts okay those are so few and far between that are still together after being having met in 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 junior high or whatever that are still together into their 50s that it's not even worth mentioning as a statistic it's so 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 unlikely and fewer and farther between are couples that have been together since high school that have a strong relationship yeah, there's okay. probably a yeah, exactly. There's probably some of those that just are together because well, at this point, you know, we've got two kids together and just, you know, splitting up would be too much of a hassle, so we just kind of deal with each other. But I asked myself, what is it? What's the core of a relationship? And what I came to is that it's not just one thing, it's two things. It's trust and communication because you can have trust but not talk. You can just blindly trust each other or you can talk and it be all lies. So you have to have the two. And I made a commitment to Vera early on that I would be honest in all things. And I've stuck to that. And there's been a couple times where I've been dishonest and then came back around and it's always unpleasant and it's never been a long period of time. But I've told her that like the, the risk of infidelity and, and cheating or, or an affair exists in, I guess, every relationship, unless you're the only two people left on an entire continent when the only means of getting off said continent is something that you don't have access to. Well, that doesn't exist for most people on this planet right now. In the most of the developed world, the the possibility of an affair is there. But I've told you many times that I don't see how it could possibly happen if we remain open and communicative with each other. Yeah, and I made a face when you said the two pillars are trust 
and communication because it at one time was honesty or honesty and communication. Okay, but but you build trust by being honest. Yeah. So right, honesty and communication. You have to have those two. And all this comes back around to the whole sausage thing, and like I mentioned, the the bonfire is that when somebody takes that match, as it were, and then passes it off to the other person and says, hey, you know, bonfires are kind of neat. It's like, <laughs> yes. It could mean so many things. Well, the, the issue there is very beneficial for the person that passed the match off because now they can just stand back and maybe the person makes them a bonfire because they think that'd be neat, but maybe not. But it's out of their hands, which is what happened with a sausage. Hey, there's a sausage here. I don't know if you want it. Now you figure out this problem. Whereas if you go and take the time to build the bonfire and you gather the wood and you make it all and then you go and to deliver an invitation, hey, I made a bonfire, would you like to join me? The person might say, no, I don't really feel like hanging out by a bonfire. And you're thinking, oh my God, I did all this work and I did all this thing to make this thing and nobody wants to come and join me. Yeah, that's the risk you're going to run. That's part of being a human, but you build resilience and at a certain point in life, you go, hey, it's not a big deal. I'll enjoy the bonfire by myself. In the situation with the sausage, the question would be, hey, would you like another sausage? And I might go, no. And if you think, well, how is that a big bonfire? Well, by taking the burden of asking the question and possibly being rejected, and that's not like the the not wanting to eat a sausage is, is a rejection. So that doesn't work all that well in that example, but it works a little bit better in the movie. Hey, XYZ just came out into theaters. Would you like to see it? And probably somebody's not going to ask that if they don't want to see it themselves. I don't know why I would say, hey, would you like to go see XYZ? It looks neat. I'd like to see it. And you go, no, I'm not really interested. And I go, oh, yeah, me either. No. the With the incident of the sausage, I was putting the responsibility on you. (laughs) Someone might think, I just realized when you said it then, that they might mean think that we mean something else we we don't we don't it was we, a it, chicken sausage from pcc i look over there because that's where it was yeah, it's all in the, it was the right oven there in the cast the, iron skillet in the southwest burner <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> on the a sausage uh, but <laughs> with the incident of the sausage as i was saying I was putting the responsibility on you to determine whether or not I was going to eat that before I went on a run. Mm -hmm. Because I don't usually eat before I go on a run. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking that day, I want to go on a longer run. And I've read that if you have a little snack, you'll have more energy. Because I wanted to run up a hill and then go on a long distance run and then come back. And I wanted to make it up the hill and still have energy. Mm. And so I was thinking I want to do that. But I don't usually eat before I run because... It sometimes gives me a stomach ache while I'm running. I didn't want a stitch in my side. So how did so ask- I was going to experiment with the sausage, but I was also kind of scared. <laughs> that so could even be an innuendo. Dang. Um, but, sorry. Wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, so then I just said, "Hey, there's a sausage here. I don't know if you want it." And mm-hmm. I was putting the the choice in your hands. I see. As to whether or not I was actually. Uh, I didn't know that until just now. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Yeah. So it's all this whole thing that she went and handled and then said, here, you answer this question for me. It's kind of like flipping a coin. Yeah. Except it's not flipping a coin. It's putting this massive burden on a person that you supposedly care for. Mm -hmm. And the problem there is if you had said yes to the sausage, then Mm. what would have happened? Would I have been resentful to you because I didn't get to experiment that day? I don't know. With eating something before I went on a run. Yeah, that's something else I've said is that you can't ask a question and not be okay with any answer. Yeah. You don't get to do that. No. You don't get to go and ask somebody a question then be pissed off when they say no, that they don't want to go to the movies. Like, (laughs) God damn it. Now we're not going to. Like, no, 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 no. You have to be okay with that. That's not to say that you can't have an emotional response, but you don't get to hold it against that person and then be a jerk to them because they didn't give you the answer that you were hoping for. Yes. Now I'm going to be pouty and I'm going to be a jerk to you all day long because you didn't say what I wanted. Well, go watch the movie by yourself. I don't care. So the benefit to being forthright, too, with all things, because everything does matter. Every little thing does matter. If you if you are terrible at this, like I am, start with the small things. 
start with the small things. Mm-hmm. And then you'll learn that being burnt by the fire, if you uh, make yourself vulnerable, isn't so bad. Yeah. And then you can build yourself up. Yeah, exactly. It's you, you fall down, you get back up, and you learn something from that fall. If, as long as you're paying attention. There's some Buddhist thing about that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact phrasing of it. It was something like, I walk down the street, I fall in the hole. I walk down the street, I fall in the hole. I walk down the street, I see the hole, and I fall into it. I walk mm-hmm. down the street, I see the hole. And it, it goes like that for a few different lines. And eventually, the person learns to walk around the hole. And that's the end of the, the little poem, I guess. I don't know what, what to call it. It's, I guess it's a poem. Whatever. Uh, but it's once you start paying attention and you see where you're going wrong, then you can stop making that mistake. If you're wondering, what in the fuck does this have to do with Warhammer? Well, it ties into what we were talking about the warp and how bad it can go and how letting these little things seep into your life can go real rotten. And there's way more rotten than there is good. Yeah. And someone might say, well, the Imperium's not good either. All right. You know what? But there's also a balance. Okay. Because the Imperium is quite tyrannical. Yeah. It's it's tyrannical (laughs) to an absolute extreme. Absolutely. So finding a balance between the two, maybe dipping your toe in the warp here and there, isn't such a bad thing. Right. Yeah, like as long as you're aware of what you're doing, you the have emperor to be in control. Banning all psychers probably wasn't the greatest idea. He might have said, "Hey, the psychers, the people that are that have psychic abilities, should go through some schooling so that they can know how to use this in a in a responsible manner." Because you're tapping into a great power, great ocean, as Magnus and other people refer to it as, mm-hmm. and that is a massive responsibility. So we should make sure that people know how to do this. It's like being able to drive a car or I think that people should have <clears throat> go through some training for to own a, a gun. I think there should be tiers to it. But I think at the very minimum that it should be something akin to or similar to having a driver's license. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me that somebody can just go into a, a Walmart in West Virginia and be 18 and buy a gun. And you really can because we were there. Yeah, we, we saw that it. happen. And and I, I know that to be the case. And some I, people might say, Oh, well, you know, what about the, the, the lady who's got a restraining order for the guy that, that raped her and she fears for her life and she doesn't have a week to wait for the, the thing? What about the person that wants to drive across country because they can't afford the plane ticket? Well, right now it's a lot cheaper to fly than it is to whatever to, to, to drive and see their, their father on his deathbed. Well, if he wants to do it legally, he's going to have to get a driver's license. Like, there are rules. I, I, I get this. If that lady is so f- afraid for her life, she needs to have some resource that she can call. There needs to be something, some protection for her. Absolutely. But saying that anybody can then go and buy a gun because this one extreme outlier event that has maybe happened twice ever, I, I mean, probably not that extreme, doesn't mean that anybody and everybody should go and be able to buy a gun as well i I, maybe in those instances they can petition before a judge or something maybe yeah something there 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 needs to be not just these broad stroke rulings there needs to be a way for for individual instances like that to come up and like okay this is an extreme outlier situation we can look at the facts yes this did happen to you that was proved by a court of law yes this person is regrettably also getting out but that's kind of how it works and for the situation, we will grant you this pass so that you can have this. You have nothing else outstanding on your record. It does make sense for you to own a shotgun and have it by your door in case this person comes crashing in. Yeah, we'll, we will allow that for the situation. But that's not a, a carte blanche pass for, now everybody that wants firearms can have an entire arsenal. Like I said, I think there should be tears. If, if there were tears and you saw and you knew that was the case, then you would know that that person wearing a gun on his hip knows how to use it. This person is trained to the level of maybe near what a special forces person would be. And so you would see that person walking around in the Walmart or the whatever with a gun on their hip and you'd feel safer for it, not less than. You'd know, oh man, that guy, he's got a three-star ranking that he went through and it took him four years to get to that, kind of like it would take to get a black belt in jujitsu if you were going every single day. Four years would actually be kind of fast. That'd be really fast, actually. But you see my point here, I think. that It wouldn't be a, a point of consternation. It would be a point of... of 
gladness. You'd see that person in your neighborhood and like, oh, I'm glad that John goes on walk with that AR-15 strapped on his back because if something goes down, he's going to know exactly what to do. And that's the guy that I'm going to want to be beside when the shit hits the fan. What does this have to do with Warhammer? It's a good question. Oh, training. Right. And psychers. And the emperor, the council of Nicaea. I think I'm pronouncing that somewhat correctly. Nicaea? Nicaea, I think. I don't think the answer was no psychers. I don't think that was the right answer because Magnus the Red not being on your side doesn't seem like a real great thing. Magnus is an extremely powerful psyker and having him with you would have been a real good thing. Mm -hmm. What are you gaining by losing him and keeping Russ and the, and the wolves? You've got werewolves that just go berserk. A whoop-de-frickin'-do. I, I don't know. I, I think having <clears throat> scholars that prize knowledge over almost anything it would be far more beneficial or would have been too late now <clears throat> but there are still psychers in the imperium yeah and that's a good thing because there are psychers on the other side yeah and Zeno psychers. there weren't in 30k because that's when it got banned but now in 40k i don't know when it happened that things got turned around where they allow them like there's uh i don't remember her name but in the severina reign commissar severina reign books they have one with her and hmm. she's always kind of freaking out and she sees darkness and they they have to keep a, a leash on her. And at the end of various chapters or the book, Severina Rain will pull the Psyker in for an evaluation that reminds me kind of of that Blade Runner 2049 scene where he has to repeat various things. It's uh, kind of an evaluation. Are, are yeah. you still? Are you still sane? Yeah. Are you still one of us? <laughs> yeah. Are you still on, you know, being controlled by us or whatever? So she'll ask questions and she's got this little, it's kind of like a, a truth detector kind of thing, thing where it'll spike when she's mm. this and she'll ask questions and make sure, like, all right, you're still on our side. So they keep her on a very short leash. Mm. And that might be a little bit too I don't know, tyrannical, but I think it's a, a good idea that they're allowing psychers and they're, they're utilizing them as opposed to just saying murder them all. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It's mm -mm. always a balance you need to find. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, I guess the only other thing that I have to mention is the Lords of Silence book. I know I mentioned that I finished it, but oh, yeah. I also, I think, oh yeah, I had already finished, um, the Buried Dagger. I haven't finished, started a new, no, that's right. I did start a new audiobook. It's uh Fulgrim and I'm not really enjoying it. Hmm. It's okay. The, the narration is ho-hum um but fulgrim of the emperor's children i don't know what the word phoenician means but i think it's like an aristocracy it's kind of uppity sort of person i don't know can you see pull up the phoenician oh, okay. i think it's p h uh, let's try this Physician is not what physician. Google guessed. Okay, Google. Please, please define Phoenician. Well, since I finished the first three books in the Horus Heresy, I'm not sure what to listen to next. But I have a few audio books on our big computer as well as on my phone. So I'm going to decide. Hmm. Hopefully, finish another one before next week. Uh, the definition that I got does not seem to be the right thing. I, mm. I don't know, but it's all about perfection and, oh, we will, uh, they make me think of the, the redcoats in the, the war, the colonial wars about, oh, we're going to stand in line and we're going to do it all correctly. And we'll all hold our rifles, our bolters and dun, dun, dun. we're listening to music. And they, they just seem like the uppity -ist of the uppity, uppity, uppities mm. in some British docu-series about the people that are all prim and proper and drinking their tea out with their pinkies out and just I, it are doesn't they really thinking they're just living it up to an idea i, I mean they are living it they, but it, it they're like the exact opposite of the space wolves which are all about living in the fjords and battle and their clans and rah, we're rugged tough Viking kind of guys, whereas these are all, oh, we're wearing our robes and we're going to go and listen to Beckwin, whatever her name is, play her new recital. It's on her grand organ and oh, isn't it all so lovely? And hmm. we're following around a sculptor and a painter and this and that. And Fulgrim's all about perfection in all things. And 
the most interesting interesting scene that I listened to thus far was when they're trying to figure out what is what these creatures are that they're battling and, and a more effective way to kill them. I forget what they're called, but uh, Fulgrim meets with Fabius Bile, and hmm. he's this crazy deranged guy, and he's saying how he's their head apothecary, and he's saying how uh, you know. I know that the emperor made us perfect, but maybe it's possible we could even improve on that. And Fulcrum saying, you're like, whoa, you're basically saying heretical stuff right now. You better watch yourself. And he's like, all I'm saying is that maybe the emperor set us out on a, on a stepping stone and we're, this is a path and, you know, we could improve on what is already perfect, basically. And hmm. we can make it even better. And he's like, all right. Yeah. And he gives him carte blanche pretty much to do whatever he wants with their genes to try and figure him out. And that, I don't know if that's the first time that Fabius Bile shows up in the chronology chron, chronology of the story. Huh. I, I, I'm sure it's not the first time he appeared in writing, but he's gone on to do horrible, horrible, depraved things in search of just cloning and doing all sorts of wacky, screwed up stuff. I, From what I understand, he makes a homunculus look like a, a, a I don't know, a, a part-time nurse compared to a excellent surgeon huh. in terms of his ability to manipulate Fabius Bile. Fabius Bile or as Beard on Tabletop Tactics calls him Fabulous Bill yeah uh, Fabius was in the book that I was listening to oh okay so he actually Tarvitz had met with him and kind of seen how he was manipulating gene seeds mm. and he was saying oh this is heresy uh Tarvis was Mm -hmm. Tarvitz and so he uh, decides to leave and get out of there and then warn those who were on the surface oh yeah 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 and in the book I'm listening to I forget who it is they they meet Saul Tarvitz and they go like oh he'll just be a line officer he'll never be a captain he's not going any places he just seems kind of ho-hum just a pedant kind of guy Hmm. who I guess, and depending on how you look at it, he is, uh, as is Loken and Caro. They're kind of by the book. You know, we're not going to turn and do these things. We're, we're following the emperor, which y- you need those people. Um, But the buried dagger was good and the Lords of Silence, which didn't really progress the story of Warhammer at all. Just kind of a scene over here was interesting. And it showed, I think we touched on this way at the beginning of this podcast, some of the infighting between the different legions. And I've I mentioned how I've heard of different heretics in these battles. And I, that's how I got onto the whole thing about the great game and blah, blah, blah. But bringing this all the way back around to that, um, I, maybe it's just my own wish, but I get the impression that the Death Guard are just kind of doing things because it suits them and they've been dealt this horrible hand and they're making the best of it as they can. But at the same time, they don't really agree with things. They they're they're over right now in the story of 40k. There's a big battle going on between Martarian and um, Rebute Gulliman. What do you mean right now? Like in terms of the chronological story in 40k or 41k or wherever we're at. Oh, okay. Like right now, December 2020. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. The newest books coming out that are at the furthest end of the story, not the ones that are touching on 30K with the Horse Heresy, has Rebute Gulliman. He's returned. He's back. He's in league with Basarius Call, and their Abaddon is the main bad guy of of Chaos. Mm -hmm. And there's a war for Ultramar going on right now. For some reason, and I'm not sure the, the exact nature of the decision here, but Mortarion is trying to take over Ultramar, which is an entire system. It's an mm. entire like gal- portion of the galaxy that mm. Rebute Gulliman is like turned into this Roman Empire kind of place. Mm. And there's these, a, a successor chapter of which there are many of, um, after the Ultramarines is the White Consuls. Mm. And in the book, The Lords of Silence, there's a battle to take this planet, which is kind of on the fringe of Ultramar, if I remember correctly, to overthrow it and begin this campaign into overthrowing Ultramar and turn, I don't know what the main planet is, probably Ultramar, uh, and make it into a plague planet, which are, they sound horrible, but at the same time, they're kind of beautiful because the Death Guard aren't about just death and decay and destroying. It's all 
it's all it's juxtaposed with new life and they have these these sanctuaries these gardens on their ships that have all sorts of flowers and blooming and yes horrible disgusting rotten plagues that'll wither and kill somebody normal in a matter of a split second if they even you know look at it kind of plagues but that's also all these new contagions and new things there's this one scene in in the book where they're talking about how the mechanicum is all about taking the biological and making it mechanical Hmm. Well, the Death Guard in their ship that they're on, Solus, is doing the exact opposite. They're taking something that's mechanical and turning it into a living thing. So the oh. ship has its own organs and hmm. they'll walk down a passageway and it'll be an artery that closes and hmm. just, like eat different things. And it's just that it gets shot and the wounds scab over on the outside of it. And he's wondering like, oh, I wonder who will be there when it first speaks. And it's just. It's this massive organism. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Huh. Um, Is that part of the reason why you want to paint the Death Guard army that we're building the swamp thing? Through? Yeah, I thought um, it kind of fit that that theme. We're mm-hmm. big fans of Alan Moore's swamp thing, Saga of the Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be kind of channeling that idea into him would be kind of neat. Because as bad and horrible and depraved as they are, I still think that they're kind of cool. Um, but... And what helps me think that they're kind of cool is in this battle on, I don't remember the name of the planet, but the the Death Guard and um, some of Abaddon's Chaos group get together. I don't know if it's which group that is, which faction. I don't remember. Chaos Legion. I think it's just the Chaos Legion, I think is what they're called. Hmm. Um, they team up because they know by themselves they wouldn't be able to overtake this place. But the Death Guard and the... Chaos Legion's goals are not aligned exactly. They both want to overtake this planet, yes, but Abaddon's Legion, the Chaos Legion, I think if I'm getting that right, wants to bring about these, the Neverborn, these these demons. They're trying to break them into reality and bring them into the material. Whereas the the Death Guard have no interest in that. They don't want that to happen at all. And they turn against the heretics, or the other heretics, I guess, uh, Abaddon's Legion, and start slaughtering them. And they both want to overtake this planet, but the Death Guard are not about the demons. They, they don't, they don't, they're not interested in that for whatever reason. I don't really understand their, I guess it probably uh, originates with, with Martarian not being a big fan of the warp. It's kind of like they reluctantly accept these gifts from Nurgle, but they're, they don't tap into it any more than they absolutely have to from what I gather. Like they're okay with some of it, but they're okay with it being in the material form i guess hmm. like if it's it's a slow change or something i don't know it's it's i haven't seen any thing in the book or, or heard anything that really spells it out then again i haven't gone really looking for it either i'm okay with learning this stuff as a, at a slow drip i mean if you can call learning thousands upon thousands of hours and literal billions of words written on this stuff a slow drip there's you just kind of turn the hose on and deal with it or don't there's always other games you can go and learn about but any as fun or I don't interesting know. or as deep deep i don't know I'm reminded again by that one person that said uh, you know it's it's neat to see you guys getting into the or or delving into the deep universe that is 40k and it it is that i mean it goes all the way back to the 80s it's coming up on 40 years old at this point well I guess it's closer to 30 than 40, but whatever. I wonder if they're going to do <clears throat> uh, some sort of fancy anniversary edition. <clears throat> Dang it. What? For, uh, 40? for 40K when they turn 40 I would years. make sense. Some big, big <clears throat> thing. I don't know when that will be, the 40th anniversary, but that would make sense that they do something major. And they do seem to be amping things up and turning things on more and more. They've got these shows coming out. Apparently, Eisenhorn is going to be... So, it'll be 27. Yeah. 2027. 2027. It's still six years away. It's not that far, it's honestly. Not, it'll be here in a snap. Yeah. I mean, that's less time than from when we saw the first Cyberpunk trailer to it being released now. So, not mm-hmm. that long at all. Okay. Well, I don't know. That'll be fun to look forward to, to see what they do in six years. Because, I mean, <laughs> that would be very bizarre if they they let uh, the 40th anniversary go by without much of a, a thing. How old will I be at that point? I will be 43? Six years away? I yeah. will be 39. 
No, six years away, I'll be 42. <clears throat> yeah. But in September. <clears throat> of 87. Well, it'll be odd year. So, yeah. Okay. 43. 43. I'll be 39. Hmm. We'll be old and wrinkly. <clears throat> Gray-haired. Walking with canes. What? I don't know. That would be very... I hope not. That would probably be due to a car accident or something, which would be very unfortunate. I just feel like I'm getting old. You are. Yeah. That's what happens. I know. You're getting old at exactly the same rate as everybody else on the planet. I know. Or not. Or not. I We can talk about time another time. Hmm. Yeah. Because okay. I, don't, I don't adhere to... Whatever. We'll save that for another time. Time. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this channel. Mm -hmm. Thanks for helping us grow. If you like what we're doing, like, subscribe, all that jazz. <clears throat> if you've got the monetary means and the desire to help us in a financial way, by all means, use the yeah. Buy Me a Coffee link or just join the channel. But by all means, don't do that if you're struggling to make ends meet or even if things are kind of tight or even, you know, not totally great. Only support us monetarily if you're totally set and you're in a fine, good-to-go spot. Yeah. And on that note, thank you to, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, Carib? Mm. Carib? Carib, yeah. Carib, uh, for the recent donation. Yeah, uh, through buying me a coffee. That was very yeah, nice. It's very nice. Which so, is a good way you. to do something if you just want to do it on a one-time thing. If you want to do it on an ongoing thing, I would suggest doing the um, membership, the, the YouTube membership thing. All right. Well, until next time. Bye-bye.